discount. Very good. So you hear me well, yes? I got my little head mic on. So listen. I was asking the question, how long, how many words do you have to hear and how long before you start to proclaim or, or make a, a statement? Um, I want to balance that carefully because I know people take that and run with it. They think like it's Dorothy's magic slippers and you just keep saying it, it will manifest. And that's not what the word is talking about. But the truth and integrity of the word of God is tested by trust. Yeah, yeah, I know. I got you. It's tested by trust. What that means is you get the opportunity to trust God. And the enemy gets the opportunity to try to play with your brain to see if you don't or to see if he can make you doubt. You know, that's the only power he really has is to make you question. And I was having a conversation, um, I think it was with Nelly the other day, and I said, you know, the devil will always try to make you second guess what you heard. You know, one of the ways he accuses the brethren is by telling you that what God promised you, you're not worthy of. Who bears witness with that? Yeah, he'll tell you immediately, like, no, you can't have that. Well, I'm going to give you an answer for him. You ready for the answer? Say, you're absolutely right. I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyway. He gave it to me anyway, so it's mine. You're right. I absolutely don't deserve everything you're saying. I don't deserve. Absolutely right. But my Savior died so I can have it, so I choose to have it. It's very powerful. Um, I, I've gotten to the point that I don't come to God, and we've had this conversation before with this deserving attitude. You know, and if you remember, I said I pray to God, God, you know. If you would be so kind, you know, if if I found any favor in your sight, you know, I, I believe for this or I'm standing for that or I thank you for that. And and I don't come with that. I, I claim it. I rebuke you. Say in it. No, I don't. I don't. I'm very careful not to come to God with a spirit of entitlement or with a, with a tone as if I feel like I deserve something because it's a thin line. You understand what I'm saying? where we're standing in faith or then trying to impose our will on God and calling it faith. You know, this may not be the most comfortable conversation, but it's a good one. So just hear me through. Um, we have to be very careful. I, I know this as a father. I know this as from being a husband. I know this in, in, in from being a friend. When you begin to look out for people, people begin to feel like what you do for them, it's your duty. And it's no longer even appreciated as a gift. It becomes just your responsibility. If you understand what I'm saying. I said to a father one time who had gone to a divorce and he was away from his children. And so whenever he got his children, he got them, I think it was every other weekend or whatever it was. And whenever he got his kids, he was going to this place. He was taking them to this you know, Broadway show. He was going to the movies and they were going to go to the carnival. And I spoke to him one day by the Spirit of God. It just was heavy on me. I said, bro, you got to stop doing this. And he said, but I, I want to you know, make sure my kids, I said, what you're teaching your kids is that every time they see you, they should be expecting a gift. They should be expecting you to give them something. Every time you see them, they're expecting you to be Santa Claus. And they're not getting to love you for you. 
why don't you just bring your kids home and just sit in the living room and watch TV, go in the kitchen and cook something to eat or make them go and cook their own. Like you creating a situation where your children are going to view you as if you show up without a gift, they're going to look like something's wrong with you. You create, you're creating an entitlement that's going to eventually bite you in the behind. Thank God he received that word. We are responsible before God to watch our steps and ourselves and our, and our spirit and, and to guard our heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issue of life. And what I want you to be careful is that when people don't have, they don't really expect God to move. And if he does, they're shocked and amazed. But those people who spend a lot of time jealous about those of us, and I'm going to make sure I, I include myself, who receive from God, they wind up jealous and envious of those who are receiving because they're not or because their life is stagnant. I've seen it a million times. But then they begin to feel that because you have the ability to receive, your now responsibility is to make sure we have. If you've seen it in the natural, you see it in the spirit. You see it with the, you hear the Mike Tysons, the MC Hammers, all of them talk about it. They'll say, all these people was around me, all my friends, or the, the, the moment that I wouldn't do for them, they cuss me like a dog. Because people begin to believe that if it became easy for you and you're now somehow entitled to give it to me, watch this, and we, out of a, a form of survivor's guilt, feel responsible to take care of them. You know, when I get rich, I'm going to buy my mom a house. And I'm going to get my family out together. I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this one a car. Okay, so basically you, you're creating a value that you now have to live up to the rest of your life. And if you can't, you buy your mama that house. And what if your money stopped coming in? Can mama still pay for that house that you put her in? Oh, so you just created a situation where mama got to be dependent on you for the rest of her life. And what if your money, what if your next record don't sell? What if you don't get another movie deal after that? You don't create a situation now where mama going to lose all that stuff you set her up for. And now mama upset with you because you put her in a situation that she can't keep. You just created a dependency. You just created an entitlement and you created something that's not good for you. Why am I telling you all of this? Because I believe God as a parent has to be watchful of the same thing. That when you begin to get wealthy, Deuteronomy 18 says, I think 8.18 says, and you begin to get your godly houses, you begin to, don't forget that it's God that gave you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant with you. See, he didn't give you the power to get wealth so you can be wealthy and keep asking for more wealth. He gave you the power to get wealth to establish a covenant. What's the covenant? To show you that this is the nature of who I am and don't forget that I gave you that so that you can show appreciation and grow and share and, and, and propagate or spread out that understanding to others. But we can get caught in thinking that God owes us something. We can get caught in thinking that that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, it is supposed to be that way. But humbly remember, it's because of his grace and not because you earned it or I earned it. So now with this being said, yeah, and I take that amen. With this being said, I'm learning in this season of my life, I've been transformed. Um, things have changed around me drastically in the past couple of years. In the past couple of weeks, since this new year started, man, I won't talk about it because I'll stop boohooing all over the message. But the 
places God has put me in, the people that God has put me in touch with. Um, Lindsay and I was talking about it last night. Spoke to um, my boy who was the CEO of uh, Chamber, and he said uh, he talked about giving somebody some concert tickets to, um, to go see Journey and Toto um, last night. And um, I said, you know, why didn't you think about me? I'll take some tickets like that. So I didn't know you like that kind of stuff. Well, let me make a couple of phone calls. Bottom line, long, long story short, he had us call somebody. He said, well, I got four tickets. I don't need them. Just take them. The tickets came with a parking pass and everything. Now, I'm looking on the, the receipt trying to find out where I sit. I want to get an idea of the layout before I get there. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm looking at the ticket, and I'm S318. I'm like, what the heck is this? And as I'm looking at it, I'm seeing row one, row two. Row one. Wait a minute, are we in a box? I said, Lindsay, I think we're in a box. I think we're in a, I think we're in one of the, the rich people boxes. I think, and sure enough, that's that's where they had us. And then we were able to go from to for our room to Coca-Cola's room to whoever uh, whoever had a suite up there and just go back and forth. And like we're like the stage is like right, you know, there, you know. And I said, wow, God. And I don't know if Lindsay paid attention, but I didn't see other people that that was this shade. Like you see, Lindsay's only the workers. I, I, didn't, I didn't see. And I'm like, God, look what you're doing. Look what you're doing. And the first thing came to my mind is, I'm here. Listen to me. And not only am I here, I don't feel out of place. I fetch, we spit right in like we belong in there. And everybody that knew us knew us, and they accepted us as if, you no, know, you're supposed to be in this place. This is where you belong. And right away, I start saying, Father, why am I here? Why am I here? I'm here. It's, it's done. I'm not even believing. It's not a statement of faith anymore. I don't expect to ever be invited to a concert again. I know Janet Jackson's coming soon, too. I'm not expecting to be ever again invited to any of these without being in the booth. I mean, this, it's, it is what it is now. It is what it is. When I take the plane now, I do first class. I don't go to the back no more. I, I just, that may sound arrogant. Take it the way you want. Poor money, you're going to hear it that way. Good money, you don't hear it that way. This is what these people do. They fly private jets. That's what they do. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, you lifting me up without me making claims, putting my foot down in the name of Jesus, I shall have. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his purpose for me in life. And he just keeps exalting me because he's understanding the maturity of my heart that I had to walk through to get here and, and I'm willing to walk through and that I'm willing to give up everything and anything I have to make sure I'm in the place that he wants me to be. Even if it breaks my heart, I'll do whatever God says. And because of that, he sits to it that my heart is not broken. I'm hurt by people and the things go on, but God keeps opening these doors. And here's what I'm saying to you. Why? I don't ever want to become entitled. I don't want to ever feel like God owes me anything. Everything that God gives me is a gift. Everything that God has given you is a gift. Everything you have right now is a gift. And whenever things don't go your way, you can pout and cry and get so upset about what you don't have that you can lose track of the fact that everything you have is a gift. 
and you should never lose your focus. I didn't plan to go this long on this. That wasn't part of the message, but it is now. I'm telling you that you are trying to get God to do something that he's already done and desires to do for you with all of his heart. It's, it's not even a struggle or a thought for him. But I need us to understand we never get to the place where we put our foot down and make a demand on God. I don't even spend time rebuking the devil anymore. I just talk to my daddy. I go to my father, who, know, who I know wants us blessed, who I know loves us, who know he cares for us watchfully. He looks over us. I, I just want to take a minute right now and just sow this into your heart and spirit. Just take in right now God's love and goodness. Just take it in for a minute. Just take a minute and think about how much he cares. Think about how much he has done and how much he do, he's doing right now that you may not even see yet. Just take a minute and just honor him and, and just ask him to give you a revelation of his goodness. Just take a minute and ask God to give you a revelation of his goodness. Because I know a lot of us on here right now today, we're looking at the things that's facing us that's caused us pressure. But can we just for a minute just lose that? Let's just step out of this world for a moment. And I invite you by the Holy Spirit to step into a world where all you can feel is God's goodness and God's presence. I, I just want you to be, take a minute and just be grateful. I want you to take a minute and just be humble. I want you to take a minute and just be appreciative. I want you to stop before God and say, God, if I have become entitled in my thinking and in my prayer life and in my attitude toward you, forgive me and cleanse me, route me out. Set me up right the way I'm supposed to be. Change my heart. Take the heart of stone from me and give me a heart of flesh. Change my approach to you. Change my approach to your throne. I pray, Father, that you teach us again to come before you like it's a privilege to be there, not something that we just deserve because, after all, you didn't do something. Father God, we love you, man. We do. We all do. But we sometimes lose our way. We sometimes lose our focus. We sometimes forget our first love. We sometimes lose the aim of what you put us here for. So I come to you and I give you back everything you've given me. You can take it all. Have every bit of it. Just take it. I don't care. I'm giving it to you because your word says trust in you. You give me the desires of my heart. And then I commit it to you so you could bring it to pass. And as you continue to open these doors and you continue to make these moves, we continue to humble ourselves before you and forgive us for making anything else in our life more important than you. Our jobs, our cars, our houses, our friends and family. You said anything we put above you, anything we put above you is an idol. Father, we trust you. We honor you. Teach us how to do it better. Humble our hearts. Humble our hearts. And we thank you for the opportunity to be taught and corrected and groomed and loved and loved and blessed by you. In the name of our Savior, Yahshua Mashiach, or Jesus Christ, as we say in English. Amen. And amen. The status of your power is released and releasing your flesh. As we've been walking through this casting down imaginations, I've been really trying to be mindful to 
help us understand that there is a battle that goes on. Scripture clearly says it. The flesh wars against the spirit and the two are contradictory. The flesh wants it its own way. God's spirit wants it his way. His way is the better way. That's the way. But flesh is persistent. And what I want to present today as our walking lesson is this. Flesh has to be constantly put down. It's not I prayed, I believe that. No, I'm, I'm delivered. I, no, no, I went before God with this. I gave it to God. I'm a different person. I believe. That's a process. That's a, a process of walking it out. And the Bible says crucify the flesh daily. So he understands that you're walking around with a living corpse. You know, that it just keeps getting back up and trying to get back into a place of dominance. And if you're not, it's not a struggle. It's a struggle when you don't understand that, that that is a reality, but it's not a struggle to keep it subdued. So I want to talk today, as I get up my verse, I want to talk about how we crucify the flesh according to this word in terms of casting down these imaginations or these thoughts that seek to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is the truth of God. And the knowledge of God is also the reality that we have to learn to focus out of. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said? We've been trained our whole life to focus out of the reality that's centered in this earth and this three-dimensional realm. But the reality we want to learn to focus out of is the reality that we can't see or the reality of the supernatural or the reality in the realm of faith. It's a different reality. Hmm. Oh, I want to read these scriptures so bad, but I, I just the Lord keeps talking to me. So when Jesus, when they come to Jesus and say, come quickly, Lazarus is dying. He says, this, this death. It's not permanent. It's, it's, this tick, under the sickness is not unto death. This death, the death is not coming out of the sickness. Are you listening to me? And then he dies. Wait, 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 wait. You'll know the story. Yeah, I'm talking to yeah, you, right? They come to get Jesus, say Lazarus was sick. Come quick. And he says in front of everybody, the disciples, this sickness is not unto death. And then he takes his time getting to Lazarus. He doesn't go right away. He waits for three days. Then he heads. But Lazarus dies. How discouraging is that? When you think you believe in God for something you thought he said to you and the opposite happens. How many of us are ready to throw faith away or, or give throw in the top? Well, maybe what the Lord was trying to say, and we start trying to come up with some substitute thing. Not a substitute faith, but something the the the, the, the salve our egos and our pride so that we don't feel stupid or dumb in front of, in front of other people. Am, am I speaking to somebody right now? Am, am, am I telling the truth right now? We start now trying to give God a way out. We start trying to give God a disclaimer. Right. Like God needs that from you. Jesus is on his way and Lazarus dies. Wow. His whole ministry is in question now. 
guy's a see, he's a fraud. He, I thought he was the son of God. I, he said the sickness wasn't unto death. The man dies. What does that look like to you when God gave you a word of life, but on your way to it, it looked like it just the whole thing just went upside down. It just died, kicked up his legs in the air and flopped over. What does that look like? Well, it looks like God is, has given us an opportunity to know what we believe and what we stand for. We can look at it in hindsight and say, but see, he raised him up from the dead. So that's why he said that. Okay. Let's walk through that a little bit. Jesus arrives. Lazarus is dead. Martha comes running to him and falls at his feet crying. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, live, would have lived. Let, nevertheless, listen, what about what she's about to say? I know he'll live in the resurrection. He'll, you know, I know he'll, you know, eternal life he'll live. Disclaimer. I'm, she's trying to give Jesus an out. I know you said this was unto death, but I know he's going to live in the resurrection. So maybe that's what you meant. And Jesus is like, no, that ain't what I meant. But whatever, whatever works for you, sweetie. Move the stone away. Let, 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 let me show you what I came to do. He was not talking about physical death. He was talking about that he had the power of death and life. So if he says the sickness is not unto death, what he's expressing to you that what I said to you is your new life will be a different life than what you call life is not this three dimensional earthly life. It may impact that, but that's not the root of it. Move the stone. Lazarus come forth. I'm going to share something with you guys. Some of you may know, some of you may not. It was about, wow, it was a good while ago. I can't even remember how many years ago it was. It was a good while ago. God gave me a word that I wouldn't be here long. He gave me a word that somebody did something to upset me. He said, don't get caught up in that. You're not going to be here much longer. So I took it that God was telling me that I was going to die soon. And I'm going to tell you right now, I sat with some people and shared it with them. Some of them cried. They got upset. No, I don't want to hear it. And I was like, you shut up. I'm excited about this. If God is telling me I'm going to die soon, I, I'm not trying to stay here for none of y'all. Like, I'll cry your behinds off. Y'all get over it. I'm moving on. I'm, I'm out. If God is telling me I'm out, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? I was excited. Like, yes, I'm out. I'm so excited. You know, people's upset. I'm excited. A few people told me God gave them the same word. So I'm like, I'm in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I'm gone. So I go to Pastor Fontaine and I go to my pastor, Pastor Richard, and I'm, you know, I'm going to share this news with them. Pastor Fontaine says, I go to him first. He said, what he's, not, what he's talking about is not a, not a physical death. It's a spiritual one. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to hear that mess. I, I'm, I'm, I'm packing my bags. I'm ready to get up out of here. You know, because that's where I was at that time in my life. I was ready to go whenever the clock struck 12. I was out. 
I know that's a sad place to be. And a lot of you didn't know I was there, but that's where I was. That's where I've been for most of my Christian life that I can remember from the moment I got saved. When can I leave? When can I leave? Because I treated my life like a prison sentence. And I treated my life like the, the moment and the first chance I get to get off this planet, I'm out of here. I didn't know that there was a level of my life where I didn't feel fulfilled or satisfied. And so I treated this life like a prison sentence. And watch this. Some of you are shocked to hear me saying this, right? You all saw me. I was driven. I was motivated. Like, yeah, he going. No, I was trying to get off this rock as soon as I can get off this rock. You didn't know what I was going through on the inside because I'm not a whiner. I'm ready to go. So I got that word. I was packed. Met with Pastor Richard. Said, maybe Pastor Fontaine in here, right? Shared the word with Pastor Richard. He comes right back with the same thing. No, it's not a physical death. Uh, now that I got accepted, but I'm accepting it with, I, I had an understanding within myself of what this meant. This sickness, they're saying this sickness is not unto death. I'm like, oh, yes, it is. Listen to me close. God had an understanding and a picture of what he meant about a death that I didn't understand at the time. And it may have taken almost, I would say it had to be five, six years for me to finally come to the revelation or acceptance that, no, that death was the death of the way you perceived this world, this life, our relationship, and everything I called you to do. Everything had to be challenged. My whole world had to be flipped upside down. I had to, you understand what I'm saying? I had to lose sight of everything I thought was right. Or when I say I thought was right, because I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily say, I hope I'm speaking to you guys where you are. Because I didn't necessarily feel like my life was right, but I felt like it was as right as it gets. I learned to live with it. I learned to accept with it. I'm not a whiner. I'm just, in all things, praise the Lord. This is the way it is. And you just live it. But I didn't think it got better than that. And I'm not saying things were all bad. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, come on, has anybody here that will be honest and say, yes, yeah, times I've kind of accepted that this is where it is. If a little blessing comes here and a little, God, give me a little extra sugar in my coffee this day and a little more. To, yeah. But overall, I'm kind of kind of leveled off to I'm thinking like this is where it is because it's been like this for so long. See? People won't be honest about that, but they do. I know women that say to me, I believe it for a husband. I believe for a husband. I believe for a husband. And I'm in my heart. God's like saying to me, no, they don't. They're hoping for one. They're wishing with all their heart, but they've already accepted their faith that they're going to be believing me and just walking around and it's just not going to happen. They don't believe it. They're not believing for this. They're not believing for the wealth. They're, they're wishing for it. They would love it if it happened. But God saying to me, they don't really believe that. They don't believe that because they haven't sat with me long enough to lose their perception of me, to gain the perception of me they should have so that I can feed their spirit with who they need to be to receive what they're believing for. Mm -hmm. So before he could sit me in these rooms with these people and do what he needed to do, I need to understand for the past couple of years, there's been a transition happening and going on in me. There's been a death taking place in me. There's been where if God had put me in that room before now, 
I would have been in that room very self-conscious because I would have felt that I didn't belong there. I was there this time and I'm not even acknowledging until somebody pointed out to me, wow, you're the only person that looks like you in here. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that's true. Okay, and, okay, and when you first get a new job, let me see if I can bring some of you to this place because you may not be there. When you first get a new job and you walk into that new job or that new business and you walk in there and you feel like an outcast because everybody's been there longer than you and they know the job better than you and you don't know what it is and you walking around there, go a new school, whatever you want to call it, you feel like a total weirdo. You feel out of place. You feel like everybody knows everybody. You feel like you're the outcast. You try to find one familiar face in the room that you can relate to so that you can hopefully bond with them and, and kind of feel some semblance of peace at home. Because in your mind, you're still the person you were, even though you were put in a new place. But once you get there a while and you let the, the, the environment train you, you're not listening to me, and you let the environment train you, eventually you begin to feel at home. Eventually, you don't feel weird anymore. Even if you still feel weird, but you found yourself a group of gossipers, a group of people that make you feel okay, that you can hang with, you find yourself a little black corner, you create yourself a little group of, of gossipers that you feel comfortable with. I'm not saying any of you, because none of you would do that. I'm just saying, I'm just giving it as a, as a, a you know, just a, a figure of speech type thing, right? You find uh, the only other Laquita in the room and then you go make friends with her and then you're, you're you know, you're fit in and now that every day you come in, you go looking for Laquita and if she ain't there, now you feel alienated again because nobody don't like us because we're the only colored people in the room. No, nobody don't like you because you don't feel like you belong there because you don't feel like you belong there. They don't feel like you belong there. In the realm of the spirit, it's the same children of God. The spirits, good and bad, my, my friends, they know when you know that you don't belong or feel like you don't belong and you are treated according to your faith. They treat you exactly like who you are. Your faith moves the angels of God. Scripture says he hearkens unto his word to perform it. And what you expect is what you bring to you. I'm not teaching you anything you don't know. What I'm trying to teach you is that then there needs to be a changing of your spirit before you look for a changing of your reality. There needs to be a changing of your expectation of where you feel you belong before you actually belong. Because if God takes you and puts you in a place that you're praying for, with you not being changed inside yourself, it won't be long before you do something to get yourself fired. It won't be long before you do something to get somebody to outcast you. It won't be long before everybody in the place rejects you because you don't belong within yourself and all the spirits and all the people's spirit bear witness with it. And you're going to wind up according to your faith, beat unto you. You can't expect to beat spiritual battles when you already look at the enemy as bigger and stronger than you. If you see sickness as bigger and stronger than you and something that you got to fight to obtain, you will fight for the rest of your life. If you see wealth as something that you got to fight to obtain, you will do whatever you can to chase it. And as long as you chase it, you're behind it. You didn't, you didn't catch that. Whatever you chase, you're behind. So if you chase wealth, you're behind it. If you're chasing a husband, you're behind it. If you're chasing a wife, you're behind it. If you're chasing friendship, if you're chasing family, if you're chasing respect, you're always behind it. 
The Bible says all the blessings should come upon you and overtake you. You're not supposed to run up on them and try to overtake them. You're not supposed to be chasing them down. They're supposed to be chasing you down. I'm just going to lay it out as simple as I can. I watched people again and again come into a ch ch chunk of money. And I watched them blow it. And they'll say, they're so stupid, they just blew all the money. No, they're not stupid, baby. They're doing what they need to do to get back to where they're comfortable. If they struggle from week to week and check to check to pay their bills and you give them a ton of money, their spirit doesn't feel like they belong there and they will get rid of that money. They will spend it frivolously. They will do the stupidest things they could do. They'll buy stuff they don't need to buy. They'll do a bunch of stuff to get back to where they feel they belong, living check to check. That's what they're going to do. Are you listening to me? So you keep drawing to you the environment that's inside of you. You keep bringing to you what you feel comfortable with. So if you find a man, women tell me they want to find a husband. I'm like, the way you act about yourself, if you find a man who loves you, you will reject that love. You would go like, I don't deserve this, even if you don't say it out loud. And you would do everything you can to tick him off, to get in his nerves, to get all up in his face, to challenge him every way you can until he leaves. And you're right back where you were because that's how you see yourself. If you think all men just want to use you or all women just want to use you, you continue to draw to you people who just want to use you. You cannot beat these battles without first fighting the battle within yourself. Cannot. So I was talking to somebody who I won't name and we were talking about a husband and believing for a husband. And the statement was, he should find me. The scripture said, let a man who finds a, a wife, so my husband should find me. And I'm listening to that, I'm like, okay, that sounds nice and churchy, okay, sounds good. Where does he find you? What does that mean? Well, you gonna be hiding under the bed somewhere? Like, how I go see? Like, what does find you mean, spiritually speaking? Like, what does that mean? Like, he just comes and knocks on your door by the spirit. Ooh, I found you. You know, what does that mean? Do you even know what that means? Mm -mm. Well, I think he should just, you know, okay. How many people you know that's how it actually really went? That they were just somewhere just doing nothing and they just found it. And if he finds you where you are right now, would he even want you? It's real conversations. Which you is he trying to find? The you that you're supposed to be or the you that you are right now? And he's going he to have to pick you up like he's something he got from the thrift store with some hoses like an irregular and take you home and try to fix you. Like, what is he finding? And what is he looking for? And I said, here's where the problem, or not the problem, here's the solution that God gave me. If you want a man to find you, he needs to find you in your destiny. He needs to find you in your purpose, and he needs to find you 
and who God has called you to be. So stop looking for a man to find you. Look for a man who's trying to find his place in God. And if he's in his place in God, finding his walk with God, and you're in your place in God, finding your walk with God, you'll find each other in the same room because you're both doing the same thing. Seek ye first the kingdom. If that's all it means to him and all it means to you, come on, somebody can give me a hallelujah or something because it's a fact. You find God's purpose in God, not in the world. You find God's calling for you in his presence, not in the world. The world has its pulls and draws. It has its deceptions and has its confusion. We all deal with them. But for me and my house, and I thought that meant me, my house, my kids, my good, my house, right here, this flesh. As for me and my house, this temple that I'm temporarily living in, we shall serve the Lord. And anybody else that's doing that, God will put us in the same room. That works for relationships, that works for business, that works for dreams and visions, that works for everything that God has called you to, even health. You find it. So let your spouse, your husband, your wife, whatever, let them find you finding God, not finding you. Let them be seeking God first and foremost, and you're doing the same thing, and you'll meet each other in that place. Hallelujah. The battle for victory in God is releasing this world. It's a step-by-step -step process. Don't think you're going to do it all today. And saying, God, whatever your plan is or your dream or your goal is for me, let me make that first. Show me how to make that first. Show me how to walk that out. Show me how to seek the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the scripture is very clear to me, but yet very confusing if you look at it in the flesh. Because I used to always hear, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And so what I thought that meant was I have to seek a spiritual kingdom in the flesh. Because I didn't know where the kingdom of God was. So how do I seek the kingdom of God? If I can just behave right and don't cuss, and don't fight and just be patient and, you know, pretty much discipline my flesh. That's seeking the kingdom of God. No, that's human behavior. That's you trying to do the right things for as long as you can. And God bless your heart for trying. It's a beautiful thing that you're trying. But seeking the kingdom of God is seeking the realm of the spirit, not how to behave yourself. If I learn God's spirit, my flesh lines up. Huh, you didn't catch that. How many of you have spent a long time trying to make your flesh be godly? How's it working? <laughs> it wasn't made to. 
You will become godly through your spirit and through your walk in the spirit. And then once your spirit is changed out the abundance of the heart or your spirit or your inside man being changed, your mouth speaks, your behavior lines up with what you become inside, not fix the outside. And then somehow the inside is then morphed into something new. It's a backwards approach. So I'm praying daily for you and for me to learn what it really means to die to self. It's not a painful process, but it is a decisive process. It's a process that says to me, God, help me see what you see the way you see it. And so I've done things that I really thought was right that were totally wrong. And I've done things totally wrong that I thought was right. And, I, and I've seen times I was doing things totally wrong and God said, no, but this is where I need you. But it doesn't make sense but this is where I need you. But I don't think that I'm being as generous and kind, but this is where I need you. But, I, but this is where I need you. Let this go. Turn this loose. Sever that chain. End that relationship. But, but they need me, God. No, I need you. I need you obedient to me, regardless of who it affects. He said, didn't I say about my own siblings and family, who, my, who are my mother and brother? Those who hear the word of God and do it, them and them only. Jesus knew the priority. Yeah, but I got to be with my family because, you know, and this and that, and I got to bury my this one, and I got to do this. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. He told them that, follow me. Remember, follow me. First, well, I just bought a land and I want to build a house on it. Follow me. Do what I say and let my guidance lead you to the things that I've called you to. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is within. That's where God lives and resides. So I want to pray right now that we release this world in all of his confines, and we ask God to show us the walk that he's called us to versus the one that we've chosen based on life experiences and decisions that we made. This is powerful. If you get this, your life will be forever changed. And you're not going to get it once and it's done. Like I said, you die to the flesh daily. It's an ongoing process. Every day I got to say to my flesh, no. I said no, and my flesh, my flesh will come back sometimes and say, well, I said no to you. <laughs> and we go, we, we sometimes we have a, a, a little battle there. And sometimes I have to step back and say, okay, I'm not going to say it to you again. I'm not even going to have this argument with you again. I'm going to make my statement. I'm going to leave the room. And I have to step into God's realm. You people have more power than you know you have. But you don't find it in anxiety. You don't find it in stress and you don't find it in works. You find it in quiet submission. And once you find it, it can't be taken from you. So I pray that each one of you this day learn to release the world and its cares and its people and its friends and its family and its everything else that seeks to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. A lot of us right here have counselors people we go to that we know speak against God's leading for our life. 
We got people that we still depending on to approve of us that we know go against God's leading in our spirit. We know it's true. And he's saying, release all of this. Don't mean you got to cut everybody off, but you need to separate yourself enough that their voice is not louder than God's. And once you do, your hearing will be so much sharper. And then God will begin to exhort you and lift you up and put you in places that you turn around and say, how did I get here? Well, I know how I got there now. I'm not amazed anymore like I used to be at these moves of God that are happening. I'm taking them in. I'm touched. I, you know, I'm still sometimes get emotional a little bit. But I'm not amazed because I've come to accept that that's the way it's supposed to be. But I'm very guarded of the, the, the spirit of entitlement where I feel like God owes me. it. It's always a gift. And I'm always grateful to have it. And I always accept it with humility. So when you pray, go before God. I don't care how much authority you think you have and say, God, this is my stand. This is what I believe. If it pleases you. If it works for you. If you will be so kind, manifest your truth in my life and then leave it alone. And you see that as God begins to deal with the thing in you that's keeping blessings from you, stop playing for the blessing to come about the blessings and when they're going to come. Pray about walking in his spirit and his kingdom and let those things find you doing his will. And let those people that God's supposed to bring you find you in the realm of doing his will. In Jesus' name, amen, saints. Great chat with you. I love you. See you next time.